What does true wellness mean to you? I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. This week on the Minding Wellness Podcast, I have Dr. Jim Poole. He is a clinical associate of Duke Health, founded Fast Brain in 2010 on the premise that individuals with ADHD have unique strengths in athletics, business, engineering, medicine, sales, the arts, and the classroom, wherever a quick and adaptable brain shines. We have a really fun and insightful conversation in this episode about his concept of how we define ADHD, how we approach it, how we treat it, and where medications fall in that mix. If you have a family member or a friend who is dealing with ADHD, I think you'll find this extremely valuable, and I hope that you'll share it and spread the word. Enjoy this episode. All right. What a distinct honor and pleasure it is to have Dr. Jim Poole with me today on the podcast. I learned of his work online and reached out and he and his team were so generous and gracious to give us this time so that we can learn about the important work that he's doing. So thank you so much for being here, Dr. Poole. Oh, thanks for having me, Claudia. Enjoy. I always enjoy talking to anybody that will listen to me and especially about ADHD and what it really um what it really means and not what we think it means. Yeah, fantastic. I'm excited to, to dive in more. So before we get started, let's go ahead with the question I ask all of my guests, which is what does true wellness mean to you? Well, I, I joked with you at first and that would be playing tennis or playing some sport and being almost 70 doing it without a heart attack would be <laughs> the way to, way to go. But I think true wellness is it's an all-encompassing thing. It's not uh, being a physician, you would think it would be just, um, is my heart okay and lungs okay? But true wellness is a total feeling of uh, feeling okay, that I'm okay. That's what I search for my patients. Am I okay as a person? And that to me is true wellness. Uh, If I feel like I'm okay, that means I'm okay in what I'm doing. I'm okay in helping how I help others. I'm okay in how my self-esteem is and how I perceive myself. Um, Those things I think are so far important and more important than even just uh, whether my heart is working correctly or not. I think that's so important. I love that coming from a physician as well, because I, I know that so many physicians do feel that way. It's just often the, the myth that they're focused only on the body, but I do think that it's so important. And so um, much more of an awareness nowadays that that mindset and just being okay. I love that. That's just a, a simple approach of am I okay? So very, very much appreciated for that sharing of your insights. So let's just dive into your background on your journey to the work that you do now, including kind of how you became interested in not just the field of pediatrics, but specifically ADHD. Well, I, uh, I grew up with uh, an ADD, AD, more ADD, not ADHD father, who was also part Asperger's, uh, physician, very, very smart. Uh, he graduated top in his class at 
uh, Duke and so forth. And then my brother uh, had a Harley Davidson in college, so that's enough said about him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's how and Bill and I grew up together. And Bill, unfortunately, I think Bill was the first, we really think he was the first person to ever take Ritalin in the state of North Carolina. Because uh, my father recognized there was just something up with Bill, and <laughs> and he saw a little article in a New York uh, newspaper, and and he ordered some. So we we still think that's true. Bill right now is in charge of putting in all the HVAC equipment in the Tesla building. He's he's got a huge job and has a real nice house out in out in Nevada. So I mean, he has done extremely well. And then my sister, who sells real estate and is nonstop, and her best job in the past was even just being a fundraiser, uh, is nonstop. And so we kind of all grew up as a nonstop family, and that was how I grew up. And when I got into medicine, I realized that uh, doctors didn't know how to treat this. As a matter of fact, when I was in training, it was called minimum brain dysfunction. And I'm still mad at myself for throwing that... Uh, we had a big, big pamphlet thing that was given to us called that in one of the companies. And uh, it's, it really kind of still sticks. Everybody thinks that it's some sort of brain dysfunction. We just have different names for it. Uh, and I just realized that, you know, I, I don't understand why so many of us ADD folks were so successful. And I started looking around and physicians and surgeons and uh, attorneys and trial lawyers and, firemen and uh, anybody that's doing some quick construction workers, uh, nurses in the emergency room, uh, nurses in intensive care unit. Everybody has this phenomenal ability to adapt quickly and to move quickly and then to hyper-focus quickly. So, and then what did we all have in common? We all hate charting. We all hate when things get slow and dull, we have we have a hard time. And I was at a at a medical meeting, and they were showing slides of MRI scans and showing the differences in brains that uh, with ADD and those without, because it it has been proven that probably we have a little bit less dopamine in certain areas of our brain. And I'm okay with that, but what I disagreed with is they were calling it a disability and I really stood up and said uh, okay I went to Clemson and that's my brain with holes in it and everybody laughed and then I got very serious and I said well uh, how come I went through uh, high school college played tennis in college played you know went through med school was in the army head of pediatrics and and then have this huge practice in North Carolina which got to be the number one in North, largest in North Carolina, if I have a disability. And so I say all that not to brag because I didn't do it to brag. I did it to help people. And it just tended to grow that way because I would see there's a need in a nearby town and I just go fit the need and something else. So that's how it grew. And then I started treating people a little bit differently and it just succeeded. And so I see about in between 30 and 40 uh, children and adults. I take care of adults too because I ended up taking care of all the mothers and fathers because <laughs> mm -hmm. it doesn't fall far from the tree. And uh, and it's really been a really uh, fun. So after I kind of made my general pediatrics, uh, growing child pediatrics, 
I just started honing in and I had so many ADHD patients that I just started doing this differently. Okay, fantastic. I have read up on your practice and a little bit of your journey, but I didn't know all the family background. So really very interesting. And um, I love that you sort of just started out with the curiosity and asking some of these questions and kind of challenging the status quo pretty early on. So that's, that's really great. For those who are listening, maybe those who are familiar with the term ADHD, but don't necessarily have anybody in their family diagnosed with it and don't know exactly what it is, can you just kind of describe sort of your definition um, or, or what the, you know, the diagnostic criteria are for ADHD? Yeah, I, I give a conference to parents twice a month and I, between 35 and 70 parents show up each time. And I always ask that question, what does ADHD stand for? And everybody states and everybody I think knows attention deficit hyperactive disorder. And I said, great. Now there's a helicopter landing out front in the parking lot. What is everybody going to do? And everybody in the room says, we're going to look at the helicopter. And I say, so wait a minute. I'm the teacher. Y'all have come all this way. You've waited. You've sat down. It's 530 in the evening. And you're going to be looking at the helicopter and not the teacher. And everybody kind of laughed. And I said, so why are you looking at the helicopter? And uh, Monday night, one lady said, it's more interesting than you are. <laughs> <laughs> I said, that's exactly right. And that's what school is. And I had one Clemson professor when I was talking with them, he, he said, well, it's really attention described differently. Uh, and it really is. It's, it's my attention goes. But when I asked my son to go get his shoes and then he kind of stares at me blankly, uh, when, you know, years and years ago, he's 40 now and he still stares at me. Blankly. <laughs> uh, but he'll, uh, and I'll go, you know, the, the, what I want to say is you're not paying attention, but he is paying attention. He's looking out the window. Uh, he is thinking his brain, our brains do not shut down. People think, well, they're not paying attention. Well, we're not, our, our brains don't go silent. They're constantly getting bombarded with different thoughts. And the issue is we always go to the helicopter. We go to the most interesting thing. And when the teacher turns to the board and it sounds like a mumble, and somebody is talking near my seat or a pencil rolls out or somebody walks down the hall noisily, I'm going to be distracted. And so really it's attention described differently. I don't think that it's a disorder. I think I am different. Um, Ned Hallowell, who's a good friend, who's written 20 books, and he actually wrote the Ford in my book, uh, Flipping ADHD on its Head. Uh, he talks about we kind of have we're, we're like a, a high race car without, with bicycle brakes. I kind of, I use the analogy that we're race horses and not plow horses. And school wants us to be plow horses and to plow the North 40. And when the farmer goes in to eat, comes back, the horse is still sitting there, but not a, not a race horse. You put him in a corral and he's going around to all four corners. And that's, that's who we are. That, that to me is what ADHD is. And, um, I'll just lead into that's why I had to change the name and I turned it to Fast Break. Uh, had a teenage girl crying because I put her on medication and told her she had ADHD. And she said, therefore, there must be something wrong with me. And I went, that's not what I said at all. And uh, it's because of the name and the stigma. So we use it Fast Break. I typed in the computer at one in the morning, Fast Brain misspelled it. So it's got two eyes in it and I trademarked it. So that's, that's what we call it in our area is fast brain. 
Okay. That was going to be a question of mine is why is there two eyes? So that was um, intentional or not, not really kind no, of it, total mistake, total mistake. I'm trying to, I'm trying to trademark the, the name fast brain and get it on the computer. So I go, you know, fastbrain.com.org.net and the computer kept saying it's already taken. And then one time it says you can buy that. And so I bought it and then I, it, you know, I'd spelled it properly and they said, sorry, it's taken. And I, I got mad at the computer and I backspace and there it was misspelled. Uh -huh. So the left, left side of my brain, my aunt, my, you know, it's, it's very general that the left side of somebody's brain is more uh, analytical, but my right side, uh, creative side was going, go for it. And so we trademarked it. I, I listened to my right side. So my right side says, go for it. And we trademarked it in the morning. And yeah, that's what nice. we do. And everybody loves. Um, I was working out with uh, Rod Brendamore and right not soon after he had won the Stanley Cup. He's a he's now the coach for the Carolina Hurricanes hockey team. And he was saying, I don't have ADD. And I mean, this guy can go nonstop. And he said, but yeah, I'm fast brain. I got a, my brain's fast. And because ADHD just detects bad things to me. And to me is that's, we're just different. We're but that not bad way, not a bad way. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Okay. I do love that reframe. I'm always, I always love a good visual analogy and a good reframe. So I, I, I love the, the racehorse and I love the, the fast brain. Okay. In a recent article you wrote, you said the job of reforming the broken way we work with young people who have ADHD is far too important to be left to adults. It requires the kids and young people to help lead us all as it is kids who are most uniquely attuned to the most maddening aspects of the status quo. A successful approach must empower children and place them at the center of the process in order to more effectively train them to leverage their special strengths. Any other approach that attempts to repress their nature will inevitably fail. So that was super powerful. I thought maybe you could expand on that. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> Don't you love when you hear a quote of your own yeah. and you're like, who yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I'm fast for you. Don't expect me to remember that I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if we get into where we're starting to empower kids in their strengths than in their weaknesses, that that's what that the bottom line is. Uh, when we look at, well, look at a ball team, you know, and if a guy comes off, no matter what the sport is, uh, boy or girl, uh, if they come off and the coach screams and yells at them, the, all the parents yell at the coach for screaming and yelling. But we know that's not the way to build up the player because that player is going to have to go back in the game. Now, you can correct them in what they were doing wrong and, and point out the mistake, but you don't berate them. And you certainly don't berate them in public. Uh, and uh, I remember years ago I had given a talk to the athletic department at Clemson and and uh, the coach, basketball coach at that moment, his name was Purnell. And we, we talked about it. And he was well known to kind of berate the players. And I am tell this story. And Clemson had come to Raleigh. And they're playing NC State in basketball. And I was invited uh, by a bank. And we're up in the upper things. They were trying to market to me. And so we were sitting around kind of at a suite. And I told them the story and they said, and Clemson had just screwed up big time and they're all kind of walking to the bench 
and this one guy had really messed up. And then one of the one of the guys I was talking with, he said, "Well, we'll see what Coach Purnell does because <laughs> this guy really messed up." And I'll never forget it. He grabbed the guy's arm and we went, uh-oh. And he turned him around and walked back out into the court where nobody could hear what he was saying. And he talked to the player. Then he brought him back into the huddle. He patted him on the knee. And the guy was the top leading scorer and top rebounder the rest of the game. Wow. And it just shows what positive reinforcement uh, starts. One of my uh, good, good friends and um, – uh, uh, Dr. Gorski in, in Florida, and I was on a committee with him, a national child care committee, long, many years ago, and he talked about by the age of four and five, a child has an understanding of whether the world is positive or not. And then later after that, it's the world, if the world is negative. So if we're giving, we need to be in a in a household where at least 60% of the things are positive and not negative. And that gives you a positive feeling of, of life. And uh, what I, my whole thing is when, um, one last statement kind of on this thing is I had somebody, you know, one of my patients came in the other day and made actually three A's and a D. So what are we all going to say to this uh, seventh grader or sixth grader? We're going to all say, why'd you make the D? Instead, I went, so tell me about the A's. What, how, did you, how did you make these A's? And then uh, she started telling me about how she'd studied, how she would review, how she would go over things. And then we got to, the, to history, where she didn't like history and, and so forth. And then we talked about what she doesn't do for that. But we focused her self-esteem on the A's. And what we tend to all do with kids is we focus on their bad grades and Therefore, they're never they they're being berated by the coach, which is the parent and the teacher, and there's no way for them to get through that. So, what I wanted in all that that long statement was, I think we need to listen to our kids. What makes them positive? What makes them feel successful? What what gets them to to go do homework when it's boring and they don't want to and they don't like it? I love that um, child-centered approach and paying attention to the good. My son is on a competitive soccer team, so that speaks to me because sometimes we do have, you know, um, sub coaches who don't take the positive approach that they're uh, that his main coach does, and there's a distinct difference in the results of those games. So I can uh, understand that from experience for sure. So tell us about we've kind of talked a little bit about you know how you've gotten to this point and your sort of reframing and repivoting of the concept of ADHD. Let's talk about your sort of fast brain approach. So how does this look? What is your approach and what does it look like in sort of real life working with children and even adults? Well, first of all, it's, it's exciting. Uh, I, I hate to, um, uh, Barry Foote, who's a real close friend of mine played, uh, he, his first at bat for the Yankees hit a home run and he, Coach played in the World Series. Coached in the World Series was quite a quite a catcher in in his day. Uh, he's pushed me to try to say you've got to get this approach out. So, what really it 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 hems around trying to get find the reason or the way we can get a child to say I'm okay. What it what is it that makes them feel okay? And so our our approach goes to uh, it's. All right, so I'll, I'll end with the bad. Uh, do I use medication as stimulants? The answer is yes. Uh, I have asthma. Do I use asthma medicine? Yep. 
Uh, I play tennis. Do I wear tennis shoes? Yes, I do. Why? Those things help me. And if ADHD stimulant medicine helps, then yes. Is stimulant medicine over prescribed? Yes, it is. Is it too high of doses? Yes, it does. Does it cause migraines, loss of appetite, depression, moodiness? Yes, it does. <laughs> so, so all the things that people talk about uh, are true, except the short stature. It does not cause short stature. But all the things that it does really uh, is that. So what I looked at, though, is to say, okay, if that's an end result, what are the other things that go? Because, And what we found was there's, there's kind of a pyramid of, approach of, of what we look at and what we do. And, and it starts with just trying to figure out, okay, Number one is, is our big things is what's happening in the family. So what strategy do you have? Do you, do you have a strategy? Does the family have a strategy? Uh, then you got to assess the strategy. I mean, this is just almost like business one-on-one. Yeah. If we're just, if we're not having an assessment and figuring out how our child's doing, then what, what are we doing? Um, for adults, I even have a, a sheet where you have to monitor yourself and you grade yourself on 10 things every day. I think it was a Yogi Berra that said, if you don't know where you're going, you might end up there. So you've mm-hmm. got to measure what you're doing. And just like in business, you have to have goals that are measurable. So just like in, in with that, and you can't say the goal is an A or the goal is to get into college. That's a nice goal, but that's an end point. To me, life is not an end point. Life is a journey. And so I, I really am against goals, even in business, because that's, that's an end point. So if we can say, all right, so where are we going? How do we get there? And and what are some ways? So we know we're going to have to adapt along the way. So then how do we adapt? So we figured out, we've assessed, what what are we doing to adapt to our situation? This teacher teaches one way, this teacher teaches another, and you learn another, which brings me back to why I really started all this. I have an auditory learning disability. So, Claudia, luckily I have your name written down. Otherwise, if you just told me your name for the first time, 10 minutes later, I would have forgotten your name. And it's just because my working memory doesn't work very well. Even taking notes in medical school, I was struggling. And luckily, a guy sitting beside me, uh, I ended up buying his notes. And he ended up with a note-taking service for the school. Oh, so, nice. Uh, because I, my, I couldn't take notes. The guy had an overhead projector, but it had a crank on it. So I couldn't, I couldn't keep up. So then you have to, after you've adapted, you implement it, and then you got to evaluate it, and then you start over. So what are, what are, those, what are those kinds of, uh, kinds of things? Well, uh, real kind of six things that I kind of look at doing would be i got to motivate. And there are two types of motivation, internal, external. The internal is, as we know it, why, why is my teenager not motivated? Well, we know that taking everything away from our ADD kids doesn't work because they're great at adapting. So they're impulsive and they're quick to change, but boy, do they adapt. And everybody listening with an ADD child has already taken them, you know, everything away and bread and water for six months and it just doesn't work. Uh, there's the external uh, adaption, I mean, motivation, and that's, uh, I, I laugh, this true story last week. So we were talking about grounding, and a dad came in, and when I was coming along, when I was grounded, I couldn't go outside. And so I said, so what do you do to the, your son? What's, what's it? Well, we ground him. And I go, oh, well, what happens? He has to go outside and play. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I just love that. Because so now we're changing what the definition of grounding. Grounding, right. got to go play on the ground, you know. Hilarious. I, so there's consequences. Uh, what are the consequences? And, and so do I, I definitely believe in discipline. But like a police officer, we have too many parents yelling at kids. Um, when I got a ticket, if I'm sitting there yelling at the police, I was, please don't give me to it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know, he doesn't yell at back at me. He just says, yes, sir. And he keeps writing the ticket. I said, don't do it. I'll <laughs> do it again. I won't do it again. I promise. And he goes, yes, sir. And he keeps writing the ticket. And then he tears it off and says, see you in court. Now, if I, if there hadn't been a speed limit sign, I get a warning. And he also can't make up the fine on the, on the fly. So, what I realized with my kids is, okay, I have to have given you a warning and I have to have determined the punishment ahead of time. So us ADD parents tend to knee jerk a response. Okay. Just for that, you can't go outside and you're not going camping this weekend with everybody. Well, that, that wasn't a warning. That was, that's just an explosion by the parent and well, you have to do something. And I'm, my question is why do we have to do something right away? the idea is to change behavior. So there's a lot in, in that. We also have to look at organization and structure and how does, what does our house look like when we walk in and is the kitchen sink still full of dishes? Is there, is the living room a mess? And then we're yelling at our child to clean up his room. It's what does the child see? We, we go to a parade of homes uh, show and we walk out and say, boy, that was a great house none of us would buy the furniture because it just doesn't fit with what we do. But the reason is because there's no, you know, there are no shoes on the floor and there are no pants draped over the, the exercise equipment and all the different things. Uh, it's just what our mind doesn't see. So I believe in having a clean place of study. When you look up, the walls need to be clean in my office behind me. My desk is a mess. The desk in front of me is clean and the wall has one or two pictures. So it's, it's nice and peaceful. So I want to be peaceful. So we have to develop a routine and the routine is diet, good nutrition, sleep habits, no screen time minimum of an hour before bedtime. And that should be for adults also. So there's no iPads in rooms and, 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 uh, uh, phones, teenagers text all night long, and you just can't do that. Do need to think of positive reward system, and then back to either medication or supplement. So those six things were motivation, consequence, organization, routine, reward, uh, and medication. And and then when we start evaluating, we look at family history and all those good things, and then we look at how much screen time, how much diet. Cause it's, it's funny. I have somebody come in and they're wanting to put their child on medication or something. And yet the child is up late at night watching YouTube and the diet is terrible and uh, there's, they're not exercising and, and so forth. Uh, we try to teach, you know, it's important to look at parenting, but parenting the ADHD child is different than parenting quote regular other kids. So parenting the plow horse is different than than parenting the, the racehorse. And back to me, I don't learn like everybody else. I have to learn by reading and getting the notes. My son, so when he was in, he's 40 now and he does phenomenal com commercial real estate. He's owned three businesses and restaurants. I mean, this guy's just go, go. He's a phenomenal tennis player and basketball player growing along. Uh, is that he, he needed to memorize a poem in the fourth grade. 
and it just wasn't happening. And my wife said, "You, he's yours. <laughs> and I went, uh-oh, that's bad when she says that. <laughs> and so I go in the room and I said, Jimmy, what's wrong? And I don't know. Do you have a poem tomorrow? Maybe. You've had a week to learn it? Maybe. And I said, well, I heard you rapping a song in the backseat of the car. Why don't you wrap the poem into the tape recorder, play it back, see who knows it in 10 minutes, and here's a dollar for the winner. And he said, Dad, you'll win. I said, well, no. In 10 minutes, Dad knew two lines. He knew four stanzas. <laughs> so that, that was, believe it or not, the first time I realized I had an audio uh, learning disability. And we learned why he did well with audio. So we did audio books all the way through high school and we used tutors. And when he was at Clemson on the tennis team, he got tutors and he had like a three something average. And then the tutoring stopped when he didn't have to go and his grades plummeted because he was trying to read and learn. So again, it's how do you read and learn? What are your assets? What are your strengths? And when he's in business doing commercial real estate, he's not the one figuring out some of the things he's got people that work for him that do that. So that's, that's my thing with that is trying to figure out how does your child learn and then accommodations at home and at school. And then last thing is uh, looking at B6, vitamin D, iron, magnesium. Uh, we, we have a whole set of supplements that we use also. Uh, but that that that's a lot more than you asked for, and I apologize. Told you I'd get rambling. No, it's, it's, ramble. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's my that's my uh, approach, and then my my last thing, the the killer, is I uh, have a old red F one fifty truck, and I tell the the kids, I said, all right, I drive a red truck, and I draw four brain cells, and I, they, I said, so what do I drive? And they say red truck. And I draw a line between the four brain cells. And that represents the myelin that is placed on our brain cells when we learn. And the more myelin that's on a neuron, the faster it goes. Which So that's kind of develops the memory in it. Well, I do that eight or nine times. Uh, I have six-year-olds that I've not seen in six months come in and say, Dr. Jim, red truck. And the idea is that, and, and we and I do this with all and I've had adults or you know college kids that I hadn't seen in a year or two who coming back to see me for help and it's been two years and they remember red truck and the question is why and it's because of the myelin well how does it get there repetition so learning is nothing more than repetition and I have found that if you do it over four days you can remember about 98 percent of everything and it's really phenomenal. So you go over tonight till you've learned it. So how long do you study tonight? Um, an hour? No, you and I grew up or I grew up. It was all you study for. It was timed. There's no time. It's repetition. If you've not been over it two or three times tonight, you will not learn it. And then you've got to go over it four days in a row and you go from learning it to knowing it. And it is absolutely fabulous. And it's just amazing what happens. And I've got kids that one boy, 6'4", 295 pounds, one of the biggest guys I've ever seen, comes in into sophomore year, DF student, can't play football. Next year, he makes Dean's List. The next year, he plays for the state championship, and they win it. He's now out in California playing Division One ball. And one guy, same sort of story, he ended up making the honor society at a local high school, and he 
had a great year his first year in playing college ball and he's a, obviously a straight a student uh another one came and visited me <laughs> i i laugh at this one he's um he uh he walks in the room office and i haven't seen him in person in two or three years but when he left he went to new york and he had struggled in high school we helped him get into college i worked with him remotely all the way through his college time and he comes in and he's driving a Maserati and he's got a Brazilian model girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, Dr. Jim, what do you think? I said, where'd I go wrong? That's pretty good. <laughs> now he can become your mentor, right? <laughs> That's right. So, uh, but it was interesting. He came back and came in and, you know, and here he was an, uh, you know, African-American who went off and became successful, but he wanted to bring his girlfriend in to sh to meet me um, because I was the one that had sort of changed his life and mentored. The important thing that I wanted him to know and parents to know, I don't, I don't do a thing. I just point that the, all you have to do is do these few things and I'm going to stay on you. I, I, I don't mess around. They come in in the ninth grade, I tell them and I, and I apologize to the parents ahead of time, but I, I say this and I tell the kids, if you screw up in the, in the ninth grade, because those grades go to college, I'm, you come in and, and so I apologize to my listeners. I tell them, I'm going to bust your ass. And all the kids respond to that. It's the darndest thing I've ever seen. And so we've, <laughs> we've, I don't say that to the younger kids. I just say, I'm nice <laughs> to you now, but the ninth grade, didn't, it ain't going to happen. Uh, we're, we're running 94% success rate to AB wow. honor. And wow. uh, all my, I would say just about, I think all our kids end up going to college or to tech school or something. So very few uh, don't don't make it. Those it's those that don't make it are drug related. Wow, really, really interesting. And I, I took really good notes on your six points of your program. My first question is regarding that the list is it intentionally in order with medication being an option at the bottom if necessary, but attempting all others first. Was that intentionally placed in that order? Yes, and it's actually, I have it as a pyramid and I get it out to people and medication is last. Yes. Okay. Because if a couple of things, and I also supplements, um, I take my supplements. We have, I would say, I'd say about 10% of our kids are on some. I, I have over 7,000 ADD patients and also over 50% of them have some comorbidity. And what is that? Anxiety, depression, um, you know, those kinds of things. And, and so it's really, the kids today, it's, it's a tough, tough world out there. But it's, um, uh, if you don't do all the other things, then I don't care how much medicine you're on. You know, I don't care how much drugs you give that racehorse. He ain't going to be a good race. He, he ain't going to win the Kentucky Derby until he does all the other stuff that he's been trained right. He slept right. You know, he's worked with exercise and you know, and all those kinds of things. And uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to interrupt my normal rambling with one quick story. I was at a friend's house. He said, we're going to a Kentucky Derby party. I had never been to one, hadn't been to one since. We're watching the big screen TV. Somebody says, what do you do? I said, I have this thing called fast brain. Well, what is that? I said, it's all those horses trying to get in the chute. Those are my kids. They don't want to sit still and they don't want to do it. And they went, okay. So then the horse, the race takes off. And I said, and notice my kids, none of them are running in a straight line. They're all banging into each other. And all the guys that were standing around laugh. 
Then one of them turns to me and says, all right, they've gone around the first turn. What are you going to do with horse 23? And I said, what do you mean? He's in last place. And I said, well, you're right. I said, in today's world, I guess you just pull him out, send him to remedial horse racing. Uh, you tell him he must have had too much screen time. Something's wrong with his parents. Um, you know, you get on, and he obviously isn't any good. In my world, I'm going to support horse 23 because one day I think he can turn into something. Uh, and so we're going to, we're going to work with him. Well, then we're back to talking about, I don't know, what's that? 20 seconds later, a guy says, look at your horse now. And I turn around the screen and horse 23 is in the middle of the pack. And so I'm now yelling at this house. I've never been to this guy's house. Mm -hmm. I'm yelling at the TV comes around the last turn horse 23 is in fourth place and who won the race horse 23 oh wow and so I get almost choked up every time I tell that story because my kids and your kids are in last place but with me and with them they'll end up in first place if you believe in them mm, I love that story I love 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 that story and my birthday is the 23rd so 23 special anyway so <laughs> Um, okay, so much to dive into here. I really love your your six points, and I, I think some of them, you know, are are relatively self explanatory. Some I would like to just maybe dive a little bit deeper in. It won't take too long to do that. But with regard to diet, I I really believe that nutrition plays such a huge role in so much that we don't um, necessarily spread enough awareness about what what are some of the dietary or nutritional changes you recommend to parents with regard to their children or even, I guess, the adults themselves? Well, that's the first thing. Uh, the, you know, it's, it's hard to get somebody to go on a diet or, well, let's see, let's change that statement. Um, it's hard to look at nutrition if the parents aren't doing good nutrition. Uh, and, and I certainly don't want a household where the parents are eating the strawberry uh, shortcake and the child doesn't get it because that's, that's not fair. Mm -hmm. I also am a big believer that if you're going to talk about nutrition to kids, it's got to be a whole, the whole family has to buy into this, that it's an important issue. The, uh, one of my good uh, doctor friends, when he talks about nutrition, he's a real, real good expert on all this, is he, um, he says that, you know, with dye, and we always talk against dye, and everybody knows the bad stuff with red dye, and he goes, actually, the red dye guys had a bad public relations <laughs> because it's all the dyes. It isn't just red dye. We kind of go with the mantra that processed foods is bad for you. If God didn't make it, it's not good for you. Um, there's, there's several really good books. One's called the wheat belly diet uh, showed that I, I date might be off, but it's like in 1986 or somewhere they changed uh, wheat from tall, thin stalks to short, fat ones to get more wheat on a acre of land. And that's when people started becoming fatter. Uh, bread, we have brown bread and we think, okay, white bread is bad. Well, turns out brown bread is, a lot of it is just painted. You need really whole grain. Uh, again, gluten, uh, gluten-free is not a bad idea. I had a set of twins and the mom wanted to do that. We designed, designed up a gluten-free diet and one of the kids was a changed person coming in. Now they're identical twins. And the other kid was wilder. <laughs> he was more hyper. So here was identical twins on the same diet and they had a two opposite responses. So it doesn't mean that a gluten-free diet 
will work and it doesn't mean that it won't work. So those kinds of things are good. So just staying away from the real, now sugar gets a bad name. You, you get sugar and you, if I drink a Mountain Dew, that's really good. And everybody that drinks a Mountain Dew knows that 30 minutes later, you're going to crash. And you know, the medical science doesn't talk about that. The problem with the sugar is when I get a sugar load, sugar goes up, insulin, which whose job it is, is to move sugar out of the bloodstream and into my cells. Insulin kicks in and, and gets it out of the bloodstream. Well, now it's not in my bloodstream where my brain needs it. And therefore I'm now frustrated, irritable, you know, I want more. And that usually happens 30, 40 minutes after a sugar load. So kids that having a sugar breakfast, uh, pop tarts, uh, sugar cereal, all that, which we give the kids because they got to eat something at nine o'clock, they're crashing and they're crashing hard and they can't focus and that kind of thing. So all the, it's really just a, and, and I'm not that hepped up. Uh, we could talk a long time on diet and I don't want to get a lot of calls, but the, the good old food pyramid that we grew up with is really bogus. It's, it's not what it should be mm-hmm. and it needs to be changed. So it's, uh, uh, but, and, and I use, I talk about no milk protein for kids that have a lot of anger issues to give them at least a three week trial of no uh, no cow milk protein and see if that changes their behavior about 10 or 20 percent of them it'll change that change their behavior i'm not telling everybody to go to almond milk i can't i don't like almond milk uh, <laughs> i whispered that um but it, uh, uh it's it, so milk can cannot doesn't always have to be the right thing uh bagels have a lot of sugar in them you can add egg to bagel and that will decrease the absorption of the sh- sugar and it will slow it down to give them more of an even keel. Um, so those are some of the diet things. Kids need a snack. And if, if kids are getting, you know, sometimes I've had children coming in and I say, when do you eat breakfast? I mean, eat lunch and it's 1030 in the morning. And when do you get home? 330 or four. Uh, that's way too long. They need a snack in there somewhere. They're, they're tired, they're irritable, they sure can't focus, and you need that. So good nutrition is, is important all day long. Mm-hmm. Really, really interesting and, and important to, to note that it's not that these are, you know, wild, wildly different ideas than just a general concept of, of having a good amount of important, nutritious, nutritionally dense foods in your diet. And so I, I appreciate you going through that with us. And um and pointing out how important nutrition can be. Um, I think a lot of times parents may feel that medication is their only route, but I also think that it's good to know that that's an option, but that we can adjust and adapt other areas to see if maybe we can minimize or, or eliminate the need for that. I have a friend who I asked if there was anything she wanted me to ask you, because she has, she has kids who, who um, struggle with this. And her question is, how do you maximize efficiency without negatively affecting creativity in these kids? All right. Um, well, first, I, I have a slide in, in my talk is that I talk imagination, creativity, and passion. And if you take away somebody's imagination, there's no way they can become creative. And if you take away their creativity, there's no way they'll have a passion. Go into a first grade class. How many people in here can draw? Everybody raises their hand. Go into the sixth grade class. How many people are a draw? 
Susie can and George can. That's about it. Right. So what happened to all that passion and creativity? It was it was sequestered. Uh, people laugh at people that make mistakes. Why don't we raise our hand? Because you're worried about making a mistake. So we're built on a system that chastises people that make mistakes rather than using mistakes to learn from. So when we're talking about creativity, if we chastise a mistake to the point that it affects somebody internally and emotional stability, and we know how you can chastise somebody with a mistake, then that's, that's going to really harm them. The other is we don't do that. And I'm just as against the helicopter parent that does everything. There was a study published, uh, I think it was a year ago or maybe a little less. And they looked at the kids that had parents. They looked at, uh, I think, 11 to 13-year-olds. And the parents that really made their kids work. They had not just clean up your room. They had chores around the house. They worked in the yard or they, they, had, they went places and worked. And they also, the parents gave them a sense of giving back to the community. So they would go work at either a, you know, a, like a soup kitchen or, you know, do different things or something where they're given, giving back to society. Well, then they looked at those kids again at age 32. The ones, the parent, and it, interesting part, it didn't have anything to do with, with race, the color of your skin or socioeconomic status. The parents that did that at age 32 uh, 94% were successful. Now, there's how do you measure success? But it, it just say for right the second, they were successful. Those that did not do that, only 24% were successful. Mm -hmm. So one of the problems that we're having in today's world is, uh, you know, I play tennis and the other day I was watching this child hit off the ball machine and guess what the mother was doing? Picking up the balls. Um, you know, you don't do that. You, mm -hmm. The child picks up the balls. The child carries his bag. The child takes his bag from this to that. Um, you know, you no, it's not a free lunch. You got to teach your child that it's work. So, how do you make them creative? You you first you allow the creativity, and if they mess up doing the creativity, you ask them a couple of different ways to do it and and help them uh, do that. So. I, I think we're so into, we want to discipline our kids and then they want to change. Now, this is a way, this is a learning time period. Uh, and one, one other thing to that, kids early age are very um, concrete thinkers. So they're not looking at being very intuitive. So if I just love watching a mom in the grocery store try to reason with a four-year-old <laughs> or even an eight-year-old. I'm, that's just, you know, I just want to come up and go, are you nuts? This child doesn't understand that. And, uh, and of course, with, with parent, when our child has a tantrum, the first thing we do is look around to see if we know anybody. If we don't know anybody, then we just grab the kid and run. <laughs> but if we know somebody, we give them whatever it is they want, which teaches them they can do that. But you have to judge and, 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 um, and talk to kids by their age. And boys have two distinct disadvantages. We are emotionally, and don't you laugh at this, Claudia, but we unfortunately are about three years emotionally behind the girls. So a 15-year-old uh, will argue like a 12-year-old. Uh, and it's not until about age somewhere between 18 and 24 to us guys kind of start matching up with the girls. 
The other thing we have problems with is we have problems with process, reading processing and processing speed. So our girls can read, you know, in the second and third grade, they're just reading like crazy and they remember everything they read. And I'm reading and going, I don't have a clue because we read, especially if we're ADD or fast brain, we read the red dog went to the blue store. Okay, what color is the store? Um, green? And you go, where did that come from? Because I didn't, it didn't visualize, I didn't make a picture in my brain of what I was reading. And if you, if I were to say fire truck to you, you would either see a fire truck or a fire station or something. You don't see the words fire truck. So we remember in pictures and the ADD person reading is not really putting them into pictures. Now, if I hear that with a tape recorder, then yeah, the, the kids will pick it up. So we're back to how does our child learn again? So you parents that are struggling with the child whose teacher saying, well, we're going to flunk him because he's not up to snuff reading. will play a tape recorder. Oh yeah. And, can your child remember a movie? Oh my goodness, yeah. I mean, he even, he saw that movie twice and can tell you everything about it. And, you know, I go, yeah. So you're worried about whether he's reading. Every kid ends up being able to read okay. That's, that's the bottom line there. Don't panic at early age. Interesting and really good points. And I, I, I won't laugh because you've asked me to laugh and not laugh, but I will, I will, I'll, can I, I'll just agree with the, with the emotional statement. Let's just put it that way. Okay. I will gently agree. All right. Before we um, wrap up, let's share with the audience. Um, I don't know. Do you, I, I'm guessing you don't, do you see virtual patients or is it only people in your area? Well, unfortunately, good old medical society will not allow me to take care of a patient across state lines. Okay. And that's, that's a good, and, but I am working, uh, interestingly, is I, um, I do have a fast brain website that's fast brain, brain with two eyes.com. Uh, and we are beginning to redo that whole thing. We will have a parent. We're working on a parenting program because as you know, by what you're doing, the world is, is virtual. And I'm even working with, uh, um, I, I, some really smart folks. Uh, the, they they are Chinese, but they're in Pasadena and doing virtual reality. And we're working with virtual reality testing program. Oh, there's not a test for ADD, by the way, and there never will be. So when if you go and you decide I want to be tested for ADD, do no computer program ever has ever changed the brain. So there's no such thing as my brain's out of whack or out of balance and all that. So it, it, that just, it doesn't happen. And there's no medical evidence of any of that. It's just a matter of focus and so forth. So be careful of people that, uh, you know, for 10 or $15,000, I'll change your child's brain. Um, that doesn't happen. But what I will, uh, if people want to get on the website or email, we're going to beginning a blog and so forth for doing all that. And matter of fact, we we're in the midst of creating all that right now. So uh, we're hoping that they could pull up uh, uh, a program. So a parenting program and um, something I started working on uh, this morning was uh, uh, what do I do with my ADHD kid now that schools are closed? <laughs> Right. Yes. So, so uh, I actually got, I was just in China. I gave the, they had their fourth international conference on children's health. And I was over there at the first of December, a couple, got back a couple of weeks before the virus broke. But I think I was the first person to talk at a major international conference in China on ADD. They only had 22 kids, 22 million kids with ADD over there. 
And the only difference between their kids and our kids is they speak Chinese. Because I, when I examine the, the kids and the parents, it's, it's the same issue everywhere. Mm-hmm. Of focus. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So so can... I hope we can, I hope they could pull up and we will have something for them if they want to call and talk. Uh, I just am not allowed to treat, unfortunately. Sure. Yeah, that's understandable, but glad that there is that resource. And then before we, before we close, let's uh, talk a little bit about your book and what they can hope to gain from that. Well, um, so Ned Hallowell, who wrote the, a great forward on the book, and so I'm going to read what he wrote because he and I, uh, we, we both have pretty similar. Now, Ned's written 23 books on ADD and everybody probably knows Ned's name, but he wrote at the end, whether you're a mom or a dad or a teacher or just somebody interested in learning about this fascinating condition, Dr. Jim, who's onto something, is your man. Enjoy. And that is talking about fast brain and how how we do it. Uh, Everything I know is in the book, and Ned said, so Jim, tell us how you did the book. Now, Ned, he's he's an English major, and I know how he writes and everything is particular. And, and I said, Ned, you and I write pretty much alike. Now, this is on his podcast. And I said, um, so when I finished the book, I gave it to my son, Matthew. And I, and he comes up to me and says, Dad. And I said, yes, Matthew. And he said, this is a mess. <laughs> <laughs> so Matthew rewrote it. So it's uh, flipping ADHD on its head. Uh, the idea is it's all about strength-based it's all about how do I take the negativity and, and make it positive. Um, we look at, uh, uh, we certainly look at how the education system is certainly not made for the ADD person, and we need to change that. We need to look at, at talk about parenting, not to change how you parent, but we want you to be, you as a parent, to be the hero. We talk about uh, exercise is so important, sleep is important, have a chapter on nutrition and chapter on medication, and then just a lot of strength-based types of things. Uh, And so flipping ADHD on its head, it's on Amazon, and I appreciate you saying that. And it's, uh, right now I think it's it's the number one ADHD book for at least another few days on Amazon. Fantastic. Uh, well, thank you so much for, for sharing that. I know writing a book is no small feat. I don't know that from personal experience. I have not written one. I know it from others who have told me. So I appreciate you taking the time to share your insights in written form and also in audio form on this podcast. I really appreciate your time, Dr. Poole. Well, you're so pleasant and nice and great questions. And uh, I, I thank you very much. I hope our paths cross in the future. A huge thank you to Dr. Poole for spending this time with us today, sharing his insights and his pearls of wisdom in the world of ADHD. I think that this was such a powerful episode and will benefit so many of those who are either themselves dealing with ADHD or helping others as in children dealing with it as well. So I encourage you to share with anyone you know who might benefit from this information and you can check the show notes for the links to his programs. I appreciate your time as we continue to mind our wellness. Thank you for sticking with me. I promise to bring you more amazing insights from some really great people. Stay tuned and I'll see you here next time.